That's the Word. Jesus is the Word. Amen? And so if we see that God created man, He said, we're going through Genesis, God said, let us create man in our image and in our likeness. Okay? So that meant that, that man was, gonna, was going to... Uh, you could go a lot deeper than this. I'm not going to... In, in, our, in our form and in our likeness. You understand God is a spirit, but even spirits, it, He has a form. God has... God is not just some shapeless blob of something floating out there in, in the cosmos. God is a spirit, but He has a spirit form. And He has legs, and He has arms, and He has a head. Right? You understand this? But uh, you know, God created man in his, likeness, in his likeness and in His image. And so really, you, you look at the word, and we had the character of God. Man had the life of God. And make no mistake about it. Adam was God's son. A lot of religious people don't want to hear that. A lot of people, you think, why don't you read your Bible? But if you've never read it before, Luke chapter 3, verse 38, it's one of those verses that you'll, if you're not careful, you'll read over it and you want to just skim over it and blow over it where it says, this one begat this one and this one begat this one. This one was the son of this one. This one was the son of this one. Just let me turn there and read that to you real quick because I want to make sure you don't think, oh, man, pastors went off the deep end. I ain't never heard anyone say that before, right? I want to give you the word, Luke chapter 3. Hallelujah. Luke chapter 3. And like I said, it's one of these passages, I'm not going to joke you, it runs from Luke 3, 23 through 38. You have all those verses, what is that, 15 verses of the son of Mahat, the son of Levi, the son of uh, Melchi, the son of Janiah, the son of Joseph, the son of Matthias. And it's one of those passages of Scripture, I've been there, where you want to check out. You know, you just want to get on mental cruise control and go, yeah, begat, 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 the son of, 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 whatever. And you get, but if you do that, you miss this. It, verse 37 says, uh, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahaliel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Now that'll blow a lot of people's theology right plumb out of the water. The Bible says Adam was the son of God. So, and this is getting a little off track, but I'll just go ahead and say this because this is one of those. This is one of these fundamental truths of the Bible that religion ain't going to teach you that you, that you need to get a hold of and realize is that Jesus did not come back to start a religion. Jesus came back to establish a the, the church, but he came back to make individuals sons of God. John chapter one was it, is it verse twelve? Is it John one twelve? Says is that as many as received him to them he gave the power. One translation says power. I think the better translation is authority. Gave the authority to become the sons of God. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but Galatians chapter three, uh, somewhere along Galatians chapter three, it says now you are sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus came back. Did he come back to do? Lord, I, help me, John. Jesus, long story short, and if you don't believe me, we can talk about it. Jesus came back to undo the works of the devil. What did the devil do? The devil came in and saw Adam, the son of God, and deceived him and caused Adam to, to commit treason against God, his father, not to be disobedient to the father, disobeyed his father, the king's word, and lost dominion on the earth. And so 
Jesus, if we believe, Jesus came back to restore the dominion, to restore the kingdom of God back to men, then what else did Adam lose? His sonship was lost, and Jesus came back to get back sonship. You are not a second-class citizen. You are not just some uh, rehashed, worked-over, uh, you know, refurbished something or another that God's just going to tolerate and put up with and let you into heaven one day so you can float on a cloud and strum a harp for eternity. No, Jesus came back to, to restore sonship to the, the people on the earth, to restore what Adam lost. Amen? But we see uh, that uh, God, uh, the, if, we, if we spent some time talking about how God, uh, you know, the Bible gave scriptures, that says there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. Um, uh, Hebrews 4.12, it's the Word of God that separates or distributes the soul and the spirit of man. Right, so uh, if we gave you some uh, scriptures, let me give these real quick. God's manifested in three persons. God is the Father, the Creator. Jesus is the Word, 1 John 1, 4, the Holy Spirit. Um, so God created you in this. So if God is consistent of three components, man is consistent of three components. And we said that those mentioned in Thess- Thessalonians, spirit, uh, soul, and body. And just in a nutshell, we said this, your spirit is that eternal part of you who you are. It is really who you are. It, uh, it is your spirit, and that is how you contact things of the spirit. That is how we obtain spiritual things. We, uh, we spent some time when we were talking about spirit, that the natural man, I believe it's in 1 Corinthians, it says the natural man cannot receive the things of the spirit, right? Because this is the thing. You understand your natural man means your dead spirit cannot receive those things. That's why you have to be born again. And this thing, you have to be born again before you can be filled with the Holy Ghost because God puts new wine, and new wine is a, is a type of the Holy Ghost. New wine goes in new wineskins, right? So you have this uh, wonderful thing that you have a spirit. That's the eternal part of you. That's a, and, and that was when you make Jesus Lord, when you make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, and at that moment, the Bible says we are baptized into the, the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. And that word baptized just means to be submerged or enveloped into the body you're placed into. You become alive in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 says that you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but he, he, uh, he has quickened you or made you alive together with Jesus and caused you to sit in heavenly places. That is where positionally where you sit now. Physically, you may be on the earth, but your position is a son of God in Christ seated at the right hand of the Father, and that's the place of authority, right? So we said this, if that's your spirit, then we said your soul is your mind, your will, your intellect, and your emotions. Now understand this, is that your brain, is, your brain and your mind is not the same thing. Your brain, is the, your brain is the organ that your mind works through, obviously, right? But you understand you have, you have a, a mind, a will, your emotions, your intellect, um, and then, and, and we, that's easy to understand, it's the reasoning capabilities of you. Then you have a body. Now, if we spent some time, we kind of, we did spirit first, then we did body, because I was thinking when I first thought I'd do it in that order, that the body was the least important. And a lot of times, and we said this, you know, a lot of people go to that scripture when Paul was writing to Timothy, and he said, bodily exercise profits little. And a lot of people have subconsciously translated that as saying bodily exercise profits none. But that's not the word, what the Word says. The Word says bodily exercise profits a little. 
And so if we said this, this is kind of what we said about the body in, the nut, in a nutshell is, is you cannot say that the body is unimportant because when your body poops out, your assignment on the earth is over, right? We said, we said this, that picture it like this. Uh, I used the illustration of the movie Men in Black. Remember the movie Men in Black and the guy that had the little cat that had the galaxy hanging on his collar and when the big roach alien came and killed him and he, you know, he was laying there and then the face opened up and it was a little dude sitting inside the head and you realize that the body you were looking at was just a vehicle that that little guy used to get around. And I said this, is that your body is the vehicle of your spirit. If, you, if that helps you understand that, that your body is the vehicle that your spirit has to have to operate upon the earth. And when, if something happens and your body breaks down and there's a malfunction and it breaks down and there's a, a, a complete systems failure, guess what? Your license to operate on the earth is over and any assignment that you had on the earth for the kingdom is not going to get done. So can we really honestly say, and this is one thing that I learned as I was studying and the Holy Spirit showed me this as I was praying, we can't say that the body's the least important because it doesn't matter how anointed the spirit is, how great the intellect and the mind is and what a gift that you are and everybody and that God has placed in everyone in, in the earth for the purpose of the kingdom, if we can't maintain this earth suit, if we can't do something to maintain this earth suit and keep it operating to where we're able to function and move upon the earth, you're never going to fulfill your, uh, your mission. It's like, when, it's like when I went to leave St. Augustine this morning, if my truck, if the transmission went out on it, no matter how important it was for me to be here this evening, to minister the word, to take care of the, the property here at the building, to you know, get the lawn prepared and all that stuff. No matter what my mission was to be here, if my vehicle had a mechanical failure and it was impossible for me to get here, guess what? The assignment's not going to get done. And so that's the, the big thing that we brought out of all that teaching on the body is do not fall into the trick of thinking, well, my body's unimportant. As long as, I gotta, you know, as, long as I'm, I'm born again, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost, and I'm renewing my mind to the Word, the body really just kind of falls alongside. It can't. You know, I um, shared this, I don't know if I shared this or not, Brother Hagen. And, you know, Brother Kenneth E. Hagen, a great man of God. Many of you may not know who he is, but Brother Kenneth E. Hagen was actually uh, the man of God that founded the Bible school that I, uh, you know, that I attended and Pastor Earl attended and several people on staff went to. And Brother Hagen, when he was uh, you know, up in his early 80s, he passed when he was 83. But when he was uh, in his late 70s, I guess he would have been 80 because he came into Huntington to Dr. Daryl Huffman's church to minister. And Dr. Huffman was telling me, he said, you know, he said Brother Hagen had kind of let himself get to the point. He said, of course, the guy's 80 years old. And you understand when you're 80, you know, unless you're, you're Caleb or Moses, when you're 80, you're not, not, most people aren't as strong when they are 80 when they're 40, right? Now, Pastor Earl said when he's 120, he's going to look as good as he does now, right? Amen? All right? But you understand Brother Hagen, 80 years old, wasn't real active. Spent a whole lot of time studying and in prayer and stuff like that. But he got to the point where when he went to churches to minister, can you help me here? That he'd had to get help going up steps. And the doc, you know, and he went to the doctor, and the doctor said, you know, you, you, it wouldn't hurt. It would do you good to get on a treadmill. Get on a treadmill and walk some and get the strength built back up in your legs so you can do that. And you know, the last time I saw Brother uh, Hagen ministering was back in uh, 2003, camp meeting 2003 before he passed. Uh, that was in the end of July. He passed, I believe, in September, October. Um, we're at the Tulsa Convention Center. Steps halfway up. And Brother Hagen's walking up the steps. You know, and he's got somebody walking with him because he's 83 years old. You know, but he's walking up the steps, and you know, he's laying hands on people and praying for people up in the steps. Because why? Because he, he even Brother Hagen got a, a realization: you have to maintain the body 
to do some stuff, right? Your spirit, your, the assignment that you have on the earth is going to require that you do some things to maintain the vehicle that your little spirit man's riding around in, right? And then we spent quite a bit of time, uh, actually two weeks consecutively, well, not consecutively, two weeks, then we had to break and we came back, talking about the mind. And we talked about how this was kind of, a, this is nutshell kind of teaching that we're doing right now. Understand this, the born-again spirit is always going to want to do what pleases your heavenly Father because that's where you've got that new nature. What? you got the nature of God again. You got born again. God's nature is back in you. You received the new nature, right? You are not the same person. Amen? You are not the same person you were before you got born again. Oh, you, you, still, you still got the same earth suit that you're walking around in. And you might still talk with the same accent that you had, amen, although it is not as bad as what it was 12 years ago, glory to God. You all would have thought I was speaking in tongues if you heard me 12 years ago, right? Right, and light, and night, okay? But you understand this, is that you received a new nature, and so your spirit's desire is always going to be to please the Father because it's got the Father's nature. We said this, just realize this, your flesh, your little earth suit, your little dirt bag you walk around in, is always going to want to do what feels good to the flesh, what gratifies the flesh. It's always going to want to eat too much, drink too much of something. It's always going to want to sleep too much, do too much. I mean, you have got Paul. That's why Paul said, that contrary to what a lot of people think, Paul did not say, I buffet my body daily. He said, I buffet my body daily. They used to think the, Paul, the Bible said Paul said, I buffet my body daily. It was, I buffet my body daily. In other words, I think we even mentioned this, is that Paul said, I treat my body roughly. I treat my flesh roughly. Now, and you notice this. Notice what he's saying. I, well, who's the I? He, Paul had the revelation. The real me is my spirit that's in this thing. The real me is the strong spirit of a man. Proverbs says the strong spirit of a man will sustain him in his infirmity. You understand that that's written by someone under Old Covenant that's not even born again. That they're talking about the strong spirit of a man will sustain him. And, and infirmity just means weakness. It can it, it could sometimes be interpreted... Uh, sickness but it just means weakness but paul said i buffet my body i buffet my body why because he realized your body your flesh has a voice and it'll talk to you and if you listen to it too much and do what it tells you to do too much it can destroy you right i heard rod parsley one time preaching he said my god man he said we're eating ourselves to death when he was talking about you know he's talking about the number one uh, sources of disease and death in the country and he was talking about you know hey you know uh, he said, man, he goes, we, he said, church, he said, we got to get it under control. we got to get it under control. And, hey, it's easy coming from, you know, hey, look, see, I still got, you know, I got something to get rid of. And y'all all know me well enough to know Pastor Brian 95 pounds ago, okay? So don't think Pastor Brian's throwing rocks at you if you're living in a glass house because I ain't, okay? You, do, you have a high priest who is touched by your infirmities, amen? <laughs> Hallelujah, right? But so... But the, flesh, but the Spirit always wants to please the Father. The flesh is always going to want to do what feels good to it. You know, what, what feels good to the flesh. So the deciding vote, remember, two-thirds majority rules, right? Works in politics, right? Works in, you know, I don't know. I would say it works in your home, but if it's mama and a little kid wanting to do something, you know, you know daddy and a little boy going to do what mama wants to do sometimes, right? Amen. Praise God. I don't say it. We don't say that in our house. You know, the old saying, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Cheyenne said, mama needs to get saved. Amen. That didn't cost you anything yesterday. Pastor Cheyenne said that people that say, oh, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. She said, it sounds like mama needs to get saved. 
because if she's so disgruntled she don't get her way, she makes everybody in the house miserable. Mama got some heart problems, right? Amen? So let's not do that. But you understand this, two-thirds majority is going to rule. So you've got this one component of your being that always wants to please the Father, your earth suit, until you get your new one, right? And the book of Corinthians says we're waiting on that. Until you get your new one, this one we've got to deal with is always going to want to do what pleases it and is contrary to the will of the Father. The deciding vote is going to be cast by your mind, your mind, your will, your intellect. And what we pointed out, remember this is, this is refreshing, and, I, and I, hopefully I'll have some time just to give you some stuff built off of what we're talking here. We said in James, the first chapter of James, um, was it verse, is it verse 27, Brother Kirk? Receive with meekness the engrafted word of God. Receive with meekness the engrafted word of God, which is able to save your soul. Now, a lot of people think that that means you, you get born again. Well, yes, you do get faith to, to believe God and be born again. But understand, your soul is not your spirit. It says, receive with meekness the engrafted word of God. Now, some translations say the implanted word of God. But the word says, receive with meekness the engrafted word of God. And I share this. I like the word engrafted because remember the example? How many of you remember the example? Remember the apple trees on my grandmother's farm? My dad liked to graft apple trees. He, my grandmother had these apple trees on her farm. She had maybe 10 or 12 of them. And all the apples on them were these little old naughty apples that really all they were good for was deer bait. Right? You know, you could you put them up in burlap sacks and take them up on a hill, dump them out in front of your tree stand, right, and get the deer to come in. That's all they were good for. But I can remember when I was a young boy, when I was uh, Clay's age, maybe five, six, seven years old, that my dad would go to my grandmother's farm. He'd take a bow saw, and he'd take some of that tree uh, patch stuff and some gauze to wrap around it, and he'd take, uh, he took some twigs, you know, maybe about as big around as my pinky, maybe big around as my thumb, and he'd go for it, and he'd cut some of these small limbs off those trees, and he'd do a little bit each year on them. Not too many because you don't want to kill your tree. But he'd cut a limb off and he'd take that and he'd cut down in it and he'd stick that uh, good apple branch that he maybe got from an apple tree that he had bought at a nursery or something and he'd put that limb down in it and he'd wrap that gauze around it and he'd, wrap, uh, he'd paint that wound dressing all over it. And they called it grafting. And so he would take, you know, he, that was how they did My dad did grafting. And so they would take that apple uh, tree branch from an apple tree that would produce good apples. And when I say good apples, it ain't like the gold, it ain't like the red delicious you're going to go buy at Walmart, right? But they were, you know, nice good apples that my grandmother, you know, they ain't going to get none this year because the frost killed them. Glory to God. It frosted in late May in West Virginia and killed all the blossoms on the apple tree. So I don't get no apple, uh, home canned apples this year. But anyway, my dad, that, that you, that the idea of, of grafting was you cut off something that was going to produce fruit that was undesirable, and you replaced that with something that, when placed in the conditions where it was going to draw nourishment from the trunk of the tree, that it was going to produce fruit that you wanted. And we said this, that when we're talking about receiving with meekness, and understand meekness means, meekness doesn't mean, I'm sorry, uh, doesn't mean I'm just sorry, and I can't, uh, you know, and I, you know, I can't do it. I'm just an old worm. I'm just no beggar. No, meekness means obedience. Get this in mind: when you read in the Bible the word meekness, don't think that it means low self-esteem, because the Bible says that Moses was the meekest man next to Jesus at the time that the, it was written in the Old Testament. Moses was the meekest man to walk the earth. The Book of Numbers says, right? 
And this is the same Moses when he come down off the mountain and all the people get dancing around and act stupid. And woohoo, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt and they're worshiping a golden calf. This is the same Moses said, uh, everybody wants to serve Yahweh, come on over here. Okay, and then he went, he said, okay, now kill all the rest of them. That's, this is Moses. This is in your Bible. That Moses was the type of person that he, that he come down off the mountain. He said, he said, we ain't putting up with this mess. Does that sound like someone with a self-esteem problem to you? Does that sound like somebody that's a little candy ankle, a little limp-wristed, little, oh, I don't want to say anything hurt. No, he's like, kill them all, okay? Y'all don't want to serve God? We're going we're gonna to just thin you out right now. But he was the meekest man. But that word meekness meant that he instantly would respond to the voice of God. Okay? So if we are to receive with meekness the engrafted word, with instant obedience to it, instant obedience, when you receive that word of God, the engrafted word of God, and like I said, when you're grafting something, you're cutting something off that's going to produce fruit. You realize that when we talked about the mind and we talked about your soul realm, you realize you have, each and every one of us, there ain't none of us got there yet because I'm still rooting stuff out. Amen? Pastor Earl would tell you, he's still rooting stuff out. Right? Paul said, the Apostle Paul in Philippians said, not that I've already attained, but one thing I'm doing, I'm pressing toward the mark of the prize of the high call. Right? Paul, here's the paraphrase. Paul said, I, look, I ain't got all my stuff together, but I got one thing going on. I'm working toward to getting the best that I can be, right? But you have training, you have uh, paradigms, you have patterns of thought that are contrary to the Word. Pastor, I'll talk about this when we were talking on strongholds, spiritual warfare, and we're talking about strongholds. We all have patterns of thought that are contrary to the Word that maybe we just don't know about it yet. How many of y'all know, man, if God showed you everything you've messed up in, boy, that'd be real discouraging, wouldn't it? God said, here, let me just roll this out here and just show you all your faults and problems right now. You'd be like, oh, God, just kill me now. It's too much work. And, and, and we said this before, is that if someone comes into an emergency room and they've been in a car wreck and they got arterial bleeding going on someplace, maybe an artery cutting their leg or cupping their neck or something like that, and you know, and you're running some tests on you, uh, and they say, "Hey, you know what? I think this person's got cancer. We need to get them started on chemo." And they're laying there bleeding to death. How much sense does that make, right? What's the first thing you're gonna do? Say, "Look, we're gonna start. They're gonna bleed out. We ain't got no time to put them through six weeks of chemo for something. Let's stop the bleeding right now." How many of you know that that, that the reason? Remember the little song? He's still working on me. To make me what I ought to be. You learned that in Sunday school. Anybody learned that? I grew up in a weird church. Okay, I grew up in West Virginia. Okay, it took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be. He's still working on me. That's a little song we learned when I was a kid, right? Okay, but you understand that when you get born into the kingdom, God's going to deal with your arterial arterial bleeding first before He starts saying, "Okay, now let's get you on some chemo." Because there's, there's some stuff that if he doesn't deal with it immediately, he'll kill you. It'll kill you. All right? You've got patterns of thought that if they're left unchecked are going to produce fruit in your life that you don't want it to produce. You know? Um, Pastor Cheyenne, when we first got engaged, she had an aunt that lived out in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And her aunt said, oh, honey, if we got engaged, she goes, oh, honey, said, I'm just so glad. I liked Aunt Joe. I still like Aunt Joe. She lives down in Okeechobee now. She said, oh, he's a fine-looking man. He's a fine-looking He's a fine looking young man, heart started. But now just remember, when he cheats on you, he will, because all men cheat. Because her husband had cheated on her, and I think that her father had cheated on her mother, and that's just the way it is. As long as he brings home the bacon, you know, and, and you know, it doesn't matter where, you know, where he eats the meal, as long as he knows where to hang his hat at. We, 
And Shiny said, uh, he ain't going to do that and, and be married with me. Oh, honey, you'll learn. You'll learn. Well, how many of you know if you've got a pattern of thought, you're born again, you come into the kingdom, you've got a pattern of thought, man, it's all right to have my Big Mac at home and have my fries on the side. And you keep that train of thought, then eventually it's going to produce fruit in your life that you don't want. And what's the fruit going to be? The fruit's going to be adultery, right? And, that's, and that can cause a divorce, and that can cause your children to be raised by somebody else that ain't their daddy, that ain't going to love them, nothing like you really do, and your whole life just becomes a stinking heap of ruin. Why? Because there was a, there was a train of thought that you didn't deal, deal with, that that was a branch that needed to be cut off of your scraggly little apple tree and done away with so that you could receive with meekness the engrafted word of God. It says, no, 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 a man, the man shall leave his mother's father and shall cleave to his wife, and they'll be one flesh, and he's going to love his wife like Christ loved the church. Right? And gave himself for it. And so when you receive that into you, and that become, and that's what we call, the Bible calls, says, don't be conformed to this world. And we said this, the, wor- the word conformed. Remember, conformed is like, I wish I had Play-Doh. If I had a handful of Play-Doh, I'd get some Play-Doh, and I'd go, watch this, go, you squeeze it. And watch it run out my fingers and squirt out the bottom of it. And I'd say, that's conforming. Because that word conform means to be molded by outside pressure pressure coming from the outside peer pressure pressure from the world pressure from the culture that we are in don't be conformed don't let outside pressure and squeezing from this world shape who you are what but be transformed metamorphosized from the inside out uh, but be conformed by the renewing of your mind to the word of god by receiving that with meekness that engrafted word amen and so if we said Getting you to this point that we have looked at the we've looked at the spirit we've looked at the soul we've looked at the body we've dealt these things. What is the result? Because you need to realize that all this thing, having a consciousness of this, there are benefits to being conscious of these things, operating in it. You know that God wants us to have, to be. He wants you to be fed uh, wisdom and uh, with knowledge and understanding. That's what shepherds are supposed to feed people with. In the, in the Old Testament, I believe it was the book of Jeremiah, God said, I'm going to give you shepherds uh, after my own heart that will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Knowledge and understanding. In other words, we give you facts, we give you information about the Word, but then we give you underst- understanding. How do we apply that? What does that result in? How does that affect my daily life, right? Well, for, this is the thing. You realize, first of all, that your spirit is the most preeminent thing. You've been born again. You've been filled with the Holy Ghost. You need to be spending time every day praying in the Holy Ghost, Right? The book of Jude says, but you, beloved, building up your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, praying in the Spirit, right? This is the thing. If you fi- How many of y'all ate something today? Right? How many of you ate something twice today? How many of you ate something three times today? How many of you ate one time a day and it started when you got up and it ain't ended yet? Okay, I'm just kidding. Amen. That's what my, okay. You know, this is the thing. If we're going to feed our body, your spirit needs something to eat too. Brother Hagin used to say, it's amazing how many people will feed their body three hot meals a day but give their spirit one cold snack a week. Spiritual malnutrition. Yeah, because we can look at ourselves, and, and, and me and Pastor Mike, uh, we, we lift weights together. I told him, I said, man, I said, look at all these people in the gym. You know, we go into to, uh, World's Gym and lift weights. And I said, man, look at all these people. I said, if you could just see them in their spirit. Because you see guys walking around all muscled up and big guys like that. I said, but if you could just see in the spirit and see these little anemic, how many of you know what the word emaciated means? 
emaciated. It just means shriveled up. Emaciated is what they used to show back back when um, fam, you know, when you see pictures of feed the children and famine and like that. You know, you, uh, the muscle atrophy when your body is is so starved for nourishment that it'll actually begin to consume your own muscle for energy. If you could see people in the spirit and see these people that they put so much emphasis on maintaining the outside, but the inside looks weak and malnourished and emaciated. Why? Because we're not feeding our spirits, or even worse, spiritually look diseased and deformed because you're feeding the wrong thing. Right. So we need to make sure we're spending time uh, in the Word, spending time praying in the Holy Ghost. Because I'm going to tell you what, how many of you all figured out that the devil doesn't have any problem trying to suck all the joy out of you? The devil will suck all your ha-ha out. There will be no happiness, the cares of life and, and everything. that You have got, we're all, as you know, the Bible says if we contain this treasure, talking about the anointing of God in earthen vessels. And I said the problem is there's too many crackpots in the church. Amen. Crackpots are leaky vessels, right? Amen? And so we need to make sure that we're putting into us. This is the thing, uh, that you make sure that, that you're uh, mentally, you're meditating on the right stuff. The book of Philippians, Paul said, he said, meditate on these things. Meditate on things that are pure, that are lovely, of a good report. Meditate on them. Think on these things. We said this when we were talking about your soul realm. You are the one. We said this in Proverbs chapter 4. It says, guard your heart, for out of it flow the issues of life. And that word guard, or keep, this is keep your heart. Some translations say guard, but it's actually a military term that it means to act as a sentry, to set up as a guard, as a sentry. It's a military term, effectively guarding. You know, if, someone's, if, if someone is charged to someone's keep, I'm charging them to your keep. It means you have to watch over them. You are the one that's responsible for keeping or guarding your heart because out of it flows the issues of life. That means that you have to put up effective filters in your life. And you begin to understand that, you know, that, uh, you know, a lot of people think, well, the church is just handing out rules for this, that, and the other. Can't listen to this kind of music. You can't watch this kind of movie. This is the thing. This is the criteria we'll say. What you're feeding, how compatible is it? to what your belief system is. How inconsistent is it to say that you have a belief system um, that advocates uh, purity, wink, wink, we'll keep it G, right, that there's a, a pure lifestyle, but you listen to music on it, you're consuming music on a daily basis that, that preaches and touts promiscuity and, and, uh, and vulgarity. It's inconsistent. And so it's, it's natural that there's going to be turbulence, if you will, in, uh, you know, spiritual turbulence in your life because your body's getting mixed signals, okay? And then, and then so as far as maintaining your, uh, maintaining your body, realize that when, when someone talks about you know, being a good steward over your body, that it's not condemnation and it's not somebody trying to make you go, oh, you, you like Twinkies too much, there's something wrong with you. No, it's just being realizing, and you understand this. Don't think, and I really want to say this for ladies, don't think that the little anorexic cocaine-sniffing models that they put on TV that are like size zeros or negative ones are the ideal body type of a woman, okay? Some of those people are the most unhealthy people because they eat celery, lettuce, and cocaine is what their diet is, okay? Don't fall into the trap of thinking if you're not a size zero or a size one or a size two 
that you're not healthy. That That's an unhealthy body type. But just realizing, look, I have an assignment and a purpose on the earth. I have purpose in the kingdom of God that is the most important thing in my life. And you know what? It doesn't matter if you're a size 12 or whatever. Are you healthy and are you keeping yourself to a point that, man, if God says, boom, go here, and i got to walk, i got to hike it two miles through the woods to get to, to some place to do what God's told me to do, can I do that? And that's what it is. It's not about being condemned because of a lack of self-control. Now, there might be some issues where you've got to deal with some self-control issues. But the, that's a symptom. The big picture is God wants all of you, spirit, soul, and body, wants all of you. Because you remember going right back to the verse we started with in, in Thessalonians, that the God of peace would sanctify you wholly or completely, spirit, soul, and body. And we said that word sanctify means to be set aside for a special purpose. Right? It's really, you know, it's used, it can be used in a religious context, but it doesn't even necessarily have to be a religious context because I said this, Pastor Cheyenne and I, if we have dishes at our house that are sanctified dishes, it's called china. It's in our china cabinet. There's, it's set aside for a specific purpose. We don't eat off it. We don't stick it on the high chair with Jared to lick it all out of the plate and then stick the plate on his head and smear it all over his head. We don't do that. Those are sanctified dishes that, praise God, this will be the year that they get eat off of because they're 10 years old. It's China we've had. first nine years they spent over in the bedroom over in Pastor Cheyenne's mama's house because we never had a China cabinet to put them in. Now we've got a China cabinet. They've never been eat off of. matter of fact, the price tags are still stuck on the bottom of some of them. Praise God. But you understand that sanctified just means it's set aside for a, per, a specific use. And, and we just want to wrap up and finish up with this is, is realizing that what we've been talking about is God, may the God of peace, He is the God of peace, right? you got turbulence going on in your life. He is the God of peace, right? May the God of peace sanctify you wholly or completely. May He set you aside for a specific purpose. You, The devil has nothing in you. I like this. Was it's John 1430, I think. Jesus was talking to the disciples, and He said, he said, the prince of the, he said, I won't talk to you much longer. Let me get to you. I got it here in the New Living Translation, I believe. John 14, 30, New Living Translation. Jesus said, I don't have much. Remember, Jesus talking to his disciples. He's getting ready to be led away to be crucified. Jesus says, I don't have much more time to talk to you because the rule of this world approaches. He has no power over me. See, this is what we're talking about. When you are, when you are sanctified, when we allow God to work in us, to sanctify us, to set you aside for His specific purpose and use. You understand, wives, you're sanctified to your husband. No other man got no right to your body and nothing else to do with you because you're in covenant with somebody and you're sanctified and set apart for your husband. Husbands, same thing goes for you. Your, your body don't belong to you. You are sanctified and set aside for your wife and it is not appropriate for a man. It is not acceptable in the kingdom for a man to be going out and hooking up with somebody and his wife, right? Why? Because you're sanctified. You're set aside for a, to a specific purpose, person for their exclusive use. And so when we're talking about being sanctified, spirit, soul, and body, it means you are valuable to God. You are, in, you are indispensable. God can't do without you. He's not willing to do without you. And God says, I want exclusive rights to you. I want to be. I, I want. I want your spirit. I want you. God is. It's, it's. It's a good greedy. God is greedy for all of you. The Bible says He's a jealous God. 
And you understand that, that, that some people, you know, I remember Oprah Winfrey said when she heard the preacher say that God was a jealous God, that's what made her backslide. Well, jealousy's a sin, and if God's jealous, then God's not righteous. You understand, poor old Oprah, she, you know, she ought to just keep on talking to people and let somebody else help teach her some word, right? Because she don't know nothing. Is that there is time, there is a jealousy that's a righteous jealousy. A man has a right to be jealous for his wife if she's breaking, if she's giving covenant privileges to someone that ain't her husband. And a, and a wife has a, a, a right to be jealous if the husband is getting... Understand, God has a right to be jealous for us. Because why? Because we're his possessions. He's Lord. He owns us, right? He owns us lock, stock, and barrel, baby. And this is the thing, Pastor Earl says, you want to be owned by God. Amen? Because God maintains his property. The stuff that God that God owns, he maintains it, he takes care of it, and he always improves the value of it. Amen? And so that's why we want to live lives that are sanctified completely under the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name.